man. That's so good, man. Jeez. I mean, you got to stop with the mic drops. I'm just saying right now. All right. <laughs> I'm getting sick of it. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just re-quoting my own Instagram reels. That's all I'm doing. I'm yes. Hey guys, welcome back to Meme Lord Monday. I'm your host, Matt Matias, your Meme Lord for the Lord. And on this show, I like to talk about life and theology for people who grew up in the church. On this episode, I had the utmost privilege of interviewing the former lead singer of the Christian band, The City Harmonic. And let me just forewarn you. Your brain is about to get exploded, okay? Is it going to get blown to billions of pieces? Because Elias is a insane genius scientist when it comes to Christian thought, worship music, and everything in between. He's able to take these concepts that we normally take as small bite-sized pieces and look at them from a bird's eye view and explain them in a very well-rounded way. And when when I talked with him, it really resolved a lot of personal issues and gripes that I had myself with Christian worship music, just unresolved and nagging questions that I had within myself that he literally solved for me in this interview. So during this interview, I just let him talk like crazy because it was doing me so many favors. And I know it'll do the same for you. Buckle up because this is like a college course that you're about to listen to in theology, uh, Christian history, worship, and the church. There's so much that's covered in this episode. So I won't blame you if it takes you a couple listens. It took me several to really grasp a lot of the things he was talking about. But there's so much here that I know you will appreciate. So without further ado, here is the incredible interview that I had with Elias Dummer. here we are here it's meme lord monday on a tuesday, tuesday. Woo, meme lord is tuesday. it monday in canada what what uh it is it, it we are behind in several ways but that yeah. is not one of them i'm okay. actually in i'm actually in eastern time so having oh. lived in nash for the last 10 years i feel like i'm an hour ahead of the rest of the world so that's great <laughs> so oh so you are the same time zone as we are yeah yeah uh-huh. oh that's awesome i felt bad i was like i hope this isn't like two in the morning for him no, I, although I find it amusing that you think it would change on a north-south lateral. That's, that's pretty amazing. He's, he's obviously, you know, time traveling just like those Australians. Yeah, I think Matt must be from Lower. Australia, guys. He's from Arizona. They don't recognize anything else. That's it. It's like we Arizona time. Dude, oh man. Yeah, dude, when it comes to numbers, my brain just doesn't work. It just, it just literally <laughs> just turns great. off. Well, hey, um, guys, we have Elias Dumel with us. Is that how you pronounce it? It is not. That's <laughs> wonderful. I, you, I would like to hear more alternatives. That's great. No, it's, it, is, uh, it is Elias Dummer. It is what it is. I've been trying to live it down my whole life, and I'm so far unsuccessful. Uh, man, embrace, you know, embracing our flaws is always, you know, the best way to go, I think. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, yeah, we're here with Elias Dummer. And I feel bad that this is the case. But whenever I told, I was like, dude, we're interviewing Elias Dummer. And they're like, and I was like, the who? guy who did City, yeah. who, the lead singer of City Harmonic. And they were like, whoa. And that was That's the reaction. Hilarious. It's unfortunate. Well, I'm sure <laughs> you kind of get that as well. Oh, yeah. And honestly, I don't really have any shame in it. I mean, I think... um I think my band did a lot of really cool stuff. I wrote practically all of those songs. So mm. 
nothing, no love lost on my part. It's great. It's amazing. Um, and yeah, I've, I've really, um, just been enjoying a lot of your content online. Mm. Um, you're, you're a meme Lord of sorts, uh, because <laughs> you know, a meme can be Mike, help him understand what I mean by that. Cause you're, you're like the original meme Lord. It's, it's basically just the concept of like a, a trend, um, that passes through society um right right <laughs> or just culture in general so like right. any any kind of like tiktok trend or anything would technically classify as a meme as well right right right. like because so few artists understand the algorithm and know how to create content engaging content and it's sad sometimes when i see them try but you do it and you know what you're doing and i'm like hmm. well thank you i just wanted to give you that i wanted to throw some flowers at you that's wonderful. I, I love I love flowers. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, like one thing I really like about what you do um, is you're is you're like you're so multifaceted in your approach to music and worship. And that's what's like, I got to talk to this guy because I love to think deeply about things. I love theology as well. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, I lead worship at my church. Uh, I'm, I'm also semi nerdy, as we talked about before we went live. <laughs> um, so I've been. I've been really, really looking forward to just talking with you about a bunch of stuff as it pertains awesome. to church, church worship. But for the losers who, who don't even know what City Harmonic is, <laughs> those losers, which could you take like 30 seconds or however long you'd like just to explain and, and to those guys yeah. who you are and yeah. what you do. Uh, my name is Elias Demmer. I uh, was in a band for just over 10 years, just about, or maybe just under 10 years, called the City Harmonic. Um, we're from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada which is a steel city that doesn't make as much steel anymore. And so that affected the city greatly. A whole bunch of churches started working together, small churches you've never heard of, started working together missionally. Um, and it had a huge impact on our city. And part of the fruit of that impact was a student movement that I was, I'm thankful to have helped to found once upon a time. It's still yeah. going. I'm not involved anymore, but it's still going. We were sitting at the threshold of worship and justice and mission and basically loving your neighbor well. So we'd get these kids together in the morning, have a little kumbaya, and then send them out. And they would serve like hundreds of kids, go out into the city and serve in city parks and picking up needles at the skate park and helping you know people in rehab and the homeless shelters and then coming back together at night again and we'd have a big worship night really kind of trying to take Amos 5 seriously and say hey what does it look like for us to be a worship band that cares about the world a little bit um and so that worship band was comprised of guys from different churches in the city mm. and that worship band was the city harmonic so Dang. we had a song called Manifesto, which was just the creeds in the Lord's Prayer. The whole point there was just, what is it that we have in common, even though we might come from different places? And so in, in doing that, uh, City Harmonic ended up through a long convoluted story, uh, ended up making a record. I own a marketing agency and I, I, I borrowed a, a studio for time. So we exchanged a branding and web package for 60 hours of studio time. And we self-produced our first album. And then uh, that album got a record deal and we were off to the races. And suddenly the song was on K-Love and we didn't know what K-Love was. So we got a phone call from Chris Hauser, who's this big music industry guy, radio guy. And he's like, crack the bubbly, you're on K-Love. And our response was, is that good? I don't know. Is that... <laughs> So is this a celebration? Um, 
because we had no idea. We're from, you know, urban Canada. It's just not a thing really where we are. And so, uh, yeah, the 10 years later, three records later, we had a really good run, toured the world. Um, the band retired uh, in order to avoid becoming a caricature of ourselves. And um, and there's more to it, of course, but that's the short version. And uh, I then started making music under my own name. And I'm my second record just came out. And uh, at this point, it's weird because at this point, I, my solo music actually has more listeners than City did. But oh, um, but it's uh, you know, I, wow. I understand the sort of cultural impact side of things that City Harmonic had. I mean, it's not every Christian band that has like baseball players walking up to the bat with your music. So. Oh, was, wow, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Have you got have you gotten any uh, UFC fighters? come out to no you have you know what i'd struggle i i know enough anabaptists that i think if that happened i might be in trouble i don't know but <laughs> but um yeah no we had seth smith something in the kyle corver used our song a bunch in the nba okay we had seth smith and lb mm-hmm. um so it was, it was kind of a you know it was a thing for a minute and that was great i'm, I'm i cannot complain about that so I, so i love the ufc and i love martial arts and I could, I could swear. I, I think at least one guy has walked out to Amen. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I, I'm not sure which oh, one, man. but I'm, I'm positive I've heard it at least once. That's so, hilarious. So I won't tell the Anabaptist, but <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. That's great. <laughs> oh man. So just going back to your comment about the whole Caleb thing, like some would say, like when you were like, was that a good thing? Some would say maybe that's not a good thing. Oh, geez. <laughs> some would say, you know, those. Well, I, and I'm speaking more of those um, get who em, are get more. <laughs> I'm thinking of those who are more maybe concerned with the 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 corporatization of worship music, which is something I wanted to yeah. talk with you about and get your thoughts on. And yeah. with, without you know, hopefully without stepping on any toes, because um, I know you mentioned. Uh, no, as well. I, I I'm pretty shameless in talking about it. I think. One one thing that's worth considering before the conversation goes too far yeah. is that we don't have any songs except for like a couple in the New Testament at best, and there's snippets at best. Other than those two songs, and even the Book of Common Prayer, you could argue, is commercial, every Protestant hymn that isn't in a traditional mainline liturgy or or orthodox or catholic liturgy every protestant hymn was part of somebody's for-profit enterprise mm. somebody somewhere printed a hymnal and sold that hymnal to somebody else now it is often the case that the hymnists themselves take fanny crosby for example she's notorious for having made very little money somebody made money on fanny crosby yeah. it just wasn't fanny and that's that's true for the Wesleys as well. But there was money involved. The, the hymnals were being printed and sold. So the trick of it all is that like, hey, we're not talking about a new problem. It seems like in every generation we pretend that the issues latent within worship music are unique to our generation. They're not. Now, mm. there are there are other issues that are taking place. I'm actually part of a research project with a bunch of academics, which is a strange thing um, around this issue. I would say the the bigger challenge we have right now is, and it, I don't even know how you avoid it, but we're proving that it's true. What's called the long tail in business theory and in music is playing out in a very, very significant way, in a much more concentrated way, in fact, in worship music in particular, whereby something like 50 to 60% 
of the songs that are in the top 100 on CCLI are produced by or associated with exactly three to four institutions. So that's that. And they are, and they are all under the auspices of being a church. Wow. So 50 to 60% of worship songs either come from or adjacent to four churches. And guess how many of those churches are part of a substantial denominational body? Maybe like one. Oh, none. <laughs> Very oh, few. I mean, they're, they're, they are they are in essentially institutions wow. unto themselves. So it, the the question of the commercialization of the American church, talk about it all day long. The question of the commercialization of worship in and of itself is so hard to tease from history because it's all we've ever known. So you're huge into church worship and the many complexities that go into that environment. What are uh-huh. some of your... Um, thoughts on church worship being equivalent to, um, quote unquote, a performance. Yeah. Oh, great. So yeah, this is a little bit of a bee in my bonnet topic for sure. Um, I, so I think that we have at times a tendency in, in general, but in Christian circles in particular, although I, I don't know if it's pretty much true everywhere is to reduce something to a point where it's ridiculous. And we've done that with the word performance, Mm. I think, um, the reality is mm. that by what most people mean by performance outside of a very narrow group of charismatic evangelicals or certain evangelicals, um, performance is viewed as doing the thing that is required or maybe pretending, if you will. So the, the real issue in my mind around, well, the real debate around performance and worship is that most people mean by the word that you're being inauthentic in some way. And I, for me, it's important, like the nerd that I am, it's important to get, rather than deal with that, to get to the idea behind the idea. What does saying that performing in music in a way that is, you know, worshipful, if you will, is inauthentic? Well, that's assuming that only momentary authenticity is the thing by which we judge a person's character or intent. And that idea fails immediately. Mm. You go to work mm-hmm. and you are a slightly different person than you are at home. Everybody goes into practically every social interaction considering the role, the expectations, the context, the other people in the room, and so on. That is normal social interaction. Wow. So to me, being hung up about performance and worship, as opposed to being hung up about the gap between momentary values and lifestyle values, that's the bigger gap. The, the real inauthentic Christian isn't the person who really means it for five minutes and then leaves and gets drunk. Right. I'll give you a very practical example. On City Harmonic would be on tour. We'd travel like crazy. You know, maybe five minutes before the show, my wife and I are on the phone and we have a little tiff on the phone. Like we're a little argument, mm-hmm. right? And so, and it, I mean, we're traveling a lot. That's going to happen, right? It didn't happen often, but it did sometimes. So the performance in me is to go, that's, that's something I need to deal with later. That's something I need to deal with on my own or out of respect to my wife in a private conversation with my wife. If I were to take the way that worship leaders talk about performance seriously, that would require me to go out into a room, spill my beans about my conflict Mm -hmm. state in some way that there's some serious problem, you know, that is more important than the fact that they've all paid to be there and they're all excited and they're all this and that. Like, no, (laughs) like that's like, it's, it's, it's to love the other person is to lead worship. 
Mm. And to love the other person on some level is to recognize that everybody's coming from different places. And there's a, a way that we get from A to B to C to D to E to F, which is what liturgy has always done. And it's exactly what the worship leader does as well. And so I think it's really important for us to remember that that performative aspect is a form of discipleship. It's a form of becoming. We're putting on the person of Jesus and we're putting on the exactly the sort of person that we aim to be in life. And that is what, what's more Christian than putting on Jesus? Oh my goodness, dude. <laughs> Bro. <That's good. laughs> that. Of my brain. <laughs> That's the sound of my my brain just just completely. <laughs> you oh, took gosh. bro. You answered like like every angle of that in a way that I've I've like never heard it before. And I'm definitely oh, well, gonna need you. to. I'm gonna need to re-listen to this a couple of times. Like I said, one of the reasons I really was interested in looking forward to speaking with you is because there's some people that they approach their 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 craft. You know, I like very, very one dimensionally, but mm. to really approach your craft fully and completely, you have to really, you know, dissect it and approach it from a philosophical viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And so you're like the singing philosopher out here, bro. I, you know what I mean, I'm just <laughs> I blown love away. That. I'm going to, that's, I'm putting that on my bio. That's the move. Right Cause here. like, well, I have, I have a lot of philosophy friends. And so they, they've kind of helped, like, I try, I try and learn through, you know, from them <laughs> through osmosis. Yeah. Cause I just can't read. I just can't read. You know what I mean? No, just, that's great. <laughs> just illiterate, but like that's what TikTok's for. Yeah, right. One of my friends I'm going to interview uh, in a little while. He he trains jujitsu as I do, and we call him the 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 fighting philosopher. And so, like applying philosophy to what what you do, it opens it up to to so many mm-hmm. more angles than than I think um, Christians presently uh, are. You know. Are, are willing to allow themselves to go and do well, it. and it's not just Christians either. I mean, oh, I true. think I was, yeah. I was saying to a friend of mine, um, one of the biggest challenges about philosophy right now is nobody ever thinks they're doing it. Mm. So like there, every, people are going around in the world, you know, not to quote Chesterton, but using the used up scraps of somebody else's idea and don't realize the ideas behind the ideas or don't care about them. And, don't realize the things that they take for granted in accepting the proposal that they have. And that's kind of, I think, what I, all I'm trying to do with this is it's like, hey, what does that say about how you view the world? And and I think, um, you know, you're talking about kind of this connectedness side of things, like looking at yeah. something in a fully orbed way. One of the biggest shifts in me in faith was recognizing that for a Jewish person in, in the first century, it's pretty unlikely that they saw the world in a strictly dualistic way, which tends to be taken for granted or assumed by Western Protestants and evangelicals in particular. And so I I think it's worth saying, hey, you know what? It's pretty likely that Christianity is interested in the whole person. Mm-hmm. It's pretty likely that Christianity is interested in the whole discussion and not simply the soul and not simply the brain. And if that's the case, then we need to look at the body and the brain and the soul and the uh, the emotion and all of the things that right now we're kind of semi-allergic to half the time or playing games with. And so I think that's all philosophy is, really, mm-hmm. is it's saying, hey, what is it to look at this from every angle that we can in order to best respect and love the thing? The internet is more accessible than it's ever been. And with that has come an absolute pandemic of people addicted to pornography. This addiction statistically is affecting Christians and non-Christians alike. It's a problem. 
Porn is a human problem, but Covenant Eyes provides a human solution. Covenant Eyes helps you and the ones you love live porn-free through transformative accountability relationships. With Covenant Eyes, you choose someone that you know and trust to walk with you as your ally and to hold you accountable for your online behavior. Me and my friends use it, and I've seen it firsthand break the bonds of addiction in people's lives. This stuff works. So basically what you do is you download the Covenant Eyes app, it tracks the activity on your devices, and your friend, who's your ally, gets a victory app which shares your activity feed right to their phone. You and your ally will be able to celebrate victories together and have honest and caring conversations about your successes, setbacks, and triggers. Nothing works better than this. If you struggle with pornography addiction online and you're ready to see some victory in your life, download Covenant Eyes and use promo code MONDAY for 30 days free. Try it out. I've gotten so many success stories from this app, and that's why I'm so happy that they've chosen to sponsor Meme Lord Monday. Again, that's Covenant Eyes. Use the link in the show notes of this episode and use promo code MONDAY for 30 days free. Victory over addiction has never been easier. Man, yeah, I totally agree, man. And I could spend four hours just talking about that. <laughs> well, we can, we need to like <laughs> hey, go. I'm down. But uh, <laughs> I guess like more um, to the topic, I guess going back to the monetization of worship music, um, mm-hmm. y- you did highlight the fact that just about all songs are monetized in one w- way, shape or form. So at what point do you feel it becomes immoral to do that? Um, well, or I or think can it? Yeah, I mean, it, certainly it can. I, I, think, um, I think half of the time there's this great uh, quip by the theologian N.T. Wright. And he says, uh, I know that I'm right about, I don't remember the exact number. It might've been 80%. He says, I know that I'm right about 80% of what I think. The pr- trouble is I don't know which 80. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I, I think what we have a tendency to do is to look at a problem like this or the housing market or whatever you want. And we take on a super simplistic solution or a super simplistic moral version of it. Because the brain loves simplicity and I get it. We Mm -hmm. want a simple story. The problem is it so rarely works and it's so rarely based in history and fact. And Mm -hmm. so the monetization of music, the monetization of worship music is one of those things. The trouble, for example, I had someone say this to me on TikTok the other day. They were saying there are no examples of worship music being monetized in the Bible. And I was like, Every example mm. that we have of worship music in the Bible was monetized. The Levites were full-time employees of the temple system. <laughs> Paul speaks openly. Now, was Paul tent-making? Yes, he was. But Paul also believed in supporting speakers and, and itinerants who went through. So there was a role to be played for people who were part of the church infrastructure. Now, I'm part-time on purpose. I've, only, I've been part-time on purpose for many, many years. I've been an entrepreneur the whole time. And so that is an intentional choice on my part because of what happens to my brain when I'm full-time at church staff. It's not good. So I, now I, I don't think everyone needs to be that way, but for me, it's better for me to be part-time. I make better choices. I'm less scared when, when my money is mixed up in other things, it's better for me than if I worry about appeasing that one board member. So yeah. my kids get Thanksgiving Turkey. Wow. I don't want to play that game. Wow. So I don't. And, I, and I've built a little world where I have a few businesses and I don't have to play that game in particular. You know, I I'm more scared. And are there people in worship music who are making a boatload of money? Of course there are. 
Are there people who are doing it simply for that purpose? Yeah, maybe there are. Is it as simple as that for any, for very, very few, I think. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, and I think it's one of those tough things to tease out. I just don't know how to answer it simply. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do know that um, it is important. I believe it is important, whatever we do, to come at this question with our own values defined. Otherwise, what we do is take for granted the values and of, and of our culture, as like you said, through osmosis. And so if an American is going to sit down and make worship music, they need to say, is this the same as winning at being American? Hmm. Is winning at worship music the same, which is like bigger, better, louder, faster, like all of the ways that, you know, American business tends to operate. Can all of those be brought into what we're doing in the church without at, at, at no cost? And I think all of us would quickly say, well, no, obviously not. Right. Right. And so. But I think on some level, it's important to say, what is it that we're doing and why? And, and at the heart of that is, I think, the idea that worship is principally a formative act. It is about becoming like Jesus through the process. And there's a bunch of ways that that plays out, which, yes, it is for God. I have somebody coming at me on TikTok right now because I said, you don't sing for, you don't sing so God shows up, you sing so you show up. Yes. Ba basic TikTok I made. It was like 15 seconds long. And they, they have now started replying to everybody, run as far from this teaching as you can. And I'm oh my like, word. teaching? <laughs> this is two sentence. It's 15 second TikTok. Gotta love and internet so, people, man. <laughs> oh, man. And so, but, I, but it's fascinating because it's a great example of flattening uh, the function of a thing with the outcome of a thing. I'm talking only about the outcome of a thing. When, when we lead worship... Is the outcome that God magically appears? No, God is with us, Emmanuel. We know through the Holy Spirit. With now, is some sense of inv inv inventational prayer good? Yeah, that's healthy. Yeah, but people don't bother to ask those questions. And he just thinks, oh, you've made it all about us. We're singing so that like I think it's like it's like the the pre no syntax or syntax without the context. It's like just there's no no sense in which they're actually understanding what I'm saying but they're listening for keywords. And that's kind of what it's so much of what I feel like I'm out there to do is to be like, Hey, the keyword listing thing isn't going to work. You're going to end up insane or deconstructed yeah. or oh, raging fundamentalist. And those are <laughs> kind of the only options. And so if we're going to talk about this, we need to talk about it thoughtfully and carefully. What's so uh, forgive me. I should know this. I'm being a really bad no, podcast host, but there's a song you just put out and said that, that starts with your, we're here. Because you're here. Help me finish the sentence. Yeah, we're here because you're here because you're always near when we are here. It's a yes. very simple. The chorus is really, really simple. Yeah, but it's very profound at the same time because it's like the reason we're here is because you're here. And it's right. like it, it's, it, it closes the loop uh, of yes. the purpose of, of worship. After seeing your, your content, sometimes I listen to worship music and I'm like, man, that was shallow. And you know, no, no. Now I know you, and just off of like your per online personality, and having met you now, I'm like, there is a lot here. There is a, a deepness. Oh, I love the Easter egg. I'm obsessed. <laughs> yes. I'm obsessed within albums and even within a song of the callback and the Easter egg. And it, it, my entire career has spent been been spent sitting on my hands, wanting to tell people where they are. And, you know, every once in a while, I'll get a guy come up, and it's usually like some pastor in his 40s comes up and he's like, I, I, I saw it. I found the thing. Yeah. And then that person and I are friends for life. Like, that's that's like, 
There we go. That's amazing. Yeah. Also going back to the concept of worship being for us to an extent, I actually made a meme about that a while back that made people angry. Um, I started that, uh, started it with Cody Carnes uh, singing, mm. uh, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And then I put that uh, angry Pakistani guy standing there like this. I don't know if you've seen that image. He said, and it's, it's like God, God being omnipresent. And I had this music. Like I'm, oh, I'm welcome here, huh? Maybe I'm already oh, here. How about that? Yeah, people got yeah. so mad, dude. Oh man. Well, and it's funny because like there's a there half of Christian thought is willful paradox. Mm. So on some level, if we're going to in our Western minds, and Western minds love to break things down to their smallest parts, right? So yes. if we're going to do that, then we need to be comfortable with the idea that God is already here in some philosophical and tangible sense. And also that I invite God here in some meaningful individualistic way, or yeah. we do as a church. So it's like, it's kind of just the both things can be true at the same time thing. Yes. Um, and my problem isn't in the language so much, the, you know, uh, come Holy Spirit is literally the, one of the oldest liturgical prayers in the church. Yeah. So we, we'd have a hard time totally tearing it down right but i also think the meme is hilarious because at the end of the day and, and it's not because of the the words it's actually because of the spirit behind the words right. and it's the same thing i was saying the 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 challenge isn't that we can invite god to work in our lives or to be present to us in some way that we notice or is tangible or great those are all beautiful things the challenge is when the worship leader starts to think of themselves as a shaman mm. And that what the worship leader is doing in some way is lightning bolting Jesus into the room. But if it's like if that worship leader cursed a little or watched HBO, suddenly Jesus doesn't care about the church. Wow. Like, that's not how this works. Wow. You know what I mean? And so th it's that kind of like, uh, you know, not to Driscoll, but like, who do you think you are? <laughs> like, it's not, it's not, it's, yes. it's you, you as the yes. worship leader are not bringing God to the people. That's not what you are doing. You're a pastor to the guy in the back row. Wow. That's it. You know? Man, that's so good, man. Jeez. I mean, you got to stop with the mic drops. I'm just saying right now. All right. <laughs> I'm getting sick of it. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just requoting my own Instagram reels. That's all I'm doing. I'm yes. <laughs> you have, because that's so smart. Cause I, I can tell you take these thoughts that you have and you, you compress them into these really meaningful, profound reels. So yeah, I, I've, I perused a ton of them. I'm just like, man, that's good. Especially the one, like one, I think this is the one that sold me on you is the, the one with the goosebumps that took oh, yes, was, yes, yes. Is, is goosebumps equivalent to sensing the Holy Spirit. And you're like, well, right. not necessarily because there's this biological function called, I think, trillion. Yes, totally. Yeah, yeah, that's um, right. Okay. So, so the, the challenge of course, with taking for granted physiological responses and assuming that it means that the Holy Spirit is there, for example, right? Is that you then for, if you teach that and, and if you don't teach on it, then you leave people to de facto accept that that's the case. Mm -hmm. Then those people go to anywhere else where those physiological responses are possible and presume God met me at counting crows. And hey, maybe he did, <laughs> but that's not, but that's, but that's not really the point, is it? And so I think there's, there's the problem is that like, we can measure those physiological responses. We know that they are there. And the, the challenge is that it, it being able to measure them and see them means neither that they are God or that God is not real. 
It, both, it, they have nothing to do with it. it. All it's saying is that we can see what happens to your body under certain stimuli. Mm. And some of those stimuli have nothing whatsoever to do with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, have nothing whatsoever to do with the person and life of Jesus and the way that that plays out in the world. And so very likely has little to do with the Holy Spirit. And so it's not that those are bad. I love that feeling. Yeah. Gosh, you know, um, but it's just the causes are many. It's called frission, by the way. Frission, there it is. There's, there we go. I just yeah, looked it up. That's right. And uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm ashamed when I felt this at certain points in my life. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm ashamed to admit when I felt this at certain points in my life. Right. So we won't right. even go there. But I felt it in Avengers Endgame. Yes. So, Hallelujah. You know, I... <laughs> when Captain America, spoilers, picked up Thor's yeah. hammer mule near. Yeah, <laughs> this is actually this is, this is a super insider joke because I actually this is no, part I'm of in. my this is part of my best man speech for Mike's wedding. <laughs> I oh, said hilarious. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I won't even get into it, but <laughs> I, that's this, hilarious. When, picked up Thor's hammer, Mjolnir, and laid the smackdown on Thanos. I said that during the best man speech. That's amazing. So yeah, I love yes, it. Got it. And it I said, happened. can I get him? Amen. And I got a big amen. So it's, yeah, really, there you go. it's really yeah. not that hard to get amens. I mean, if you just yell a little bit, get, you know, conjure up the goosebumps. You know what I'm yep. saying? Just to loop it yep. back around. Yeah, frisson. I'm glad you looked that up. I was like, yeah, frisson. Okay, that's the word. I, you were saying trillium or something, <laughs> yeah, which is like it was Ontario's so flower. It was very strange. I was like, I'm confused now. Swarmy, um, swummy, sw yeah. Swanson. Oh, sw oh, way off. I was way off. Yeah, no, no. So, yeah, I mean, I guess for me, the thing is like, we, again, are in a world where philosophy is crammed at our throats. And we don't examine it. Mm. And so if we don't examine it, then we take it for granted. And part of that philosophy is that that which can be measured must be merely natural. So it's not that I'm saying that right. frition isn't God or can't, frition can't be used by God. Right. Because I actually believe frition can be used by God all the time. God put it there for a reason. It's the same reason that everything we do in group singing often produces friction. Group singing produces oxytocin in yeah. unbelievable quantities, second mm. only to sex. Wow. So it's like if 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 group singing does this incredible thing in us and causes us to have a slightly different worldview when we leave, which is also true scientifically, does that mean that group singing is fake? But obviously it's not. Right. We know it's real, you know? And so th I think the problem is that we we kind of want to reduce things in order to say that they aren't real or deny the measurement of things because then that would make them not real. And that takes for granted a certain materialist worldview that I don't think any Christian needs to take for granted. And and half of philosophy, even secular philosophy, doesn't take this for granted. I was listening to a guy last night saying one of the biggest problems we have in our society is that tendency to break things down to their smallest parts and miss the whole. Mm. Which, you know, how do you define art? How do you define beauty? How do you define... Every attempt seems hollow, right? right? And yet we all know these things are real. And so I think in some level, we all got a little more, need to get a little more comfortable with the tension that exists between ideas and recognize that we are limited in our ability to box them in to the boxes we keep trying to put them in. And that's a good thing. And this is one of those examples where goosebumps doesn't mean that God is there and not elsewhere. Right. It means you're having an incredible response to whatever's happening in the room. Mm -hmm. And, you know, give it time. We'll see if you're a little more peace, patient, kindness, goodness later on. Hey, it's probably the Holy Spirit. If you're <laughs> not, probably wasn't, you know, I, I like that take because 
it is yeah. balanced. Yeah. And it also dismisses my my gripe with it, where people say, let's, you know, that's the anointing. That song was so anointed. Oh, gosh. Don't get me on that <laughs> word. <laughs> I know. I can't stand it, dude. Not going to lie. I come from like a heavily Pentecostal background, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm one of those guys who cage staged their way into Calvinism and Reformed theology. That's me. Oh, I'm no. That, I'm, I'm much more calmed down than I used to be. <laughs> but Mike, That's funny. Mike knows. Yeah. Mike knows how yeah. it is. Yeah. You had your moment. Yeah, I watched uh-huh. it happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, the <laughs> thing, I think the thing for me, um, well, with anointing is that I've, I, <laughs> I've never had somebody come up and tell me a song was anointed, which wasn't also commercially successful. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go there. Let's go there. Oh, that's so great. And I'm lucky enough to have had a few of those. And so it's like, no one comes up and tells me my deep cut is anointed. Nobody. So what does that tell you? You know? I mean, that, to me, it's, it's, it's language that, anyway, it's. It hits the algorithm, right? You know, the human algorithm. It hits the human algorithm just right. well, it, it's a great example of uh, a, the same problem we have right now with worship leaders, pastoral ministry, and the average person walking the average street. Um, and I grew up in the shadow of Toronto Airport, so I know charismatic well. Um, <laughs> oh I call myself Anglocostal. So oh, wow. um, the phrase I use to describe this behavior, um, and it's problematic on every level, is borrowed authority. It takes humility for me to say, hey, Matt, uh, I was praying about you. Take or leave this. Take this to people you trust. What do you think of this? This is something I've been feeling as I've been praying for you. No one is ever going to be like, that guy's a jerk. Right. 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 But but I'm also giving you the ability to choose to listen or not listen. Think of the think of the certainty it would require for me to say with a straight face, hey, Matt, the Lord is saying and say a thing. Now, if we look at the biblical example, I would have to never be wrong. Right. Never ever be wrong. Mm-hmm. And so like I th- I don't know anyone in any stripe any stripe of life who's never been wrong about this, you know? And so I'm thinking maybe it would all be better if we were a little more humble about our opinions. And I think anointing is often that. It's someone wanting to say, "I love what you did," but having no idea how to say that without sounding not Christian enough for them. So they say anointing in order to sound like you can't argue with them. You can't yep. dismiss their compliment. And God is complimenting you through me, his one messenger. Like that's, Dude. that's the vibe. Tricky pastors. We all do that's it. Good. Tricky, tricky mm-hmm. piety, tricky piety. I yeah, hate totally. It. Guys, just want you guys to close your eyes right now. I want you guys just to reach deep within and uh, then you start getting new agey with it. That's my favorite worship, mm. like Pentecostal worship. Pastor. Oh, dude, I, t- dude, I still do this. No, I, I, I oh yeah. Okay, 100%. let's hear it. Let's hear it. I do this without shame. Here's, here's, here's the thing. We know that humans learn from repetition. We know that humans learn from habit, right? So all throughout church history, the cantor has pretty much run liturgy. That has been typical for a long time. Pastors were practically expected to sing. Mm. Right. So it is purely a product of contemporary Western society that we expect worship to be a merely rational exchange of ideas. Hmm. We also can see people don't remember sermons when they leave and that more facts does not equal a changed life. 
information rarely information alone rarely leads to transformation more often it's more like tickling the brain there is a form of getting new information that has more to do with whether we feel good about it than it does about whether or not our habits and our lives are changed so if take for example data around meditation. Mm -hmm. Meditation is consistently shown to be a positive practice regardless of worldview. Uh, it is There is evidence that meditation, when one has an object, as opposed to when one does not have an object, in other words, theist versus non-theist meditation, uh, theist meditation is more effective and has more benefits and so on. But both things, just the practice alone is, is, is useful. Yes. So one of my biggest social media posts was a commentary on the Hillsong documentary. And in that documentary, there were some people essentially going off at the idea that Hillsong says it's the Holy spirit when really it's these special magical chords that they're playing. Right. And my, my criticism of this take and maybe of yours, I don't know. This is fun. I'm, I'm enjoying I'm, this. I'm, by open. The way. I'm open, but yeah, but yeah, my criticism of it was that's what all music is doing all the time. Mm-hmm. Music is fundamentally manipulative. Wow. And it's only that we get weird about individualistic agency. It's only because we're obsessed with individualistic agency that that's wrong. The idea that you can't have an emotion that you didn't evoke yourself is nonsense. And also the presupposition everyone brings with them into experiences. Mm, yeah, that's good. Because you don't exist in a vacuum. Right. You exist in a social schema. You exist in a contextual moment. You exist. So when you go to a church service, you are on some level submitting to the group corporate experience. And so Man. music playing a role in that is going to shape and make that a corporate group experience. So it has a deeply practical thing, but again, can go awry when borrowed authority comes to play. There's a big difference between using music to relax people, which mm -hmm. is totally appropriate. No one would say the doctor's office should be playing corn instead of Kenny G. Right. They want to be calm when they go in. No one goes to yoga and then comes out and is like, why did they play that slow, relaxing music? Why? No one is shocked by this. Could you? So I, I'm only getting a little bit. I want you to dig into this a little bit more. So. Help me understand sure. the, the, your, your appeal to authority here as far as like... Yeah, so, so borrowed authority oh, yeah, would sorry. mean I'm, I'm not doing the thing. He's doing the thing. I see. So we so differentiate, we basically remove all human agency in order to absolve ourselves of responsibility and also in order to be not debatable. So for example, the problem isn't playing the synth underneath. The problem is saying, see that thing you feel? That's the spirit. Gotcha. Gotcha. Doing all, all, there's nothing wrong with any of the things. Right. It's, it's, it's in saying, well, it's not me. It's not the keyboard. It's like, no, on some level, it might be the keyboard. And God can use the material for incredibly sacred purposes. That's what the gospel is. That's what the, that's what communion is. <laughs> God takes bread and wine and makes the material sacred. So the problem isn't that we have material and sacred. The problem is that we say one is not the other. Wow, dude. <laughs> Jeez. Stop it. <laughs> wow, man. So can we just like, let's, let's hover here for a little bit. So yeah, one, of I the, love it. one of the topics we talked about in our group 
was, or, you know, with memes, we like to roast churches that have like the sure. $3 million laser light set. And yeah, there sure. are people who push back on that and say, like, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, and some, I've, uh, one comment even said, uh, equated it to the stained glass window of the early church and how... Oh, it's it's even worse now. Try having a stained glass window now. Oh, it costs you more than your light show. Oh, yeah. As far as cost is concerned, and I guess uh, going back to like Mike's question, the performative aspect of it, at what point does the festival aspect of corporate singing, uh, w- at what point should that be distinct from the sacredness of ecclesial worship? Do you get my drift? Like where and should I see the same exact type of celebration that you would see at a rock concert within within the church? Because one seems. I mean, so so David. Let, so let's take the majority of church histories use the Psalter. Yes. Within the Psalter, we see instructions all over the place, sons of Korah and so on and so on, right? These are full time liturgical things. If you read the instructions given to the Levites. Church was a banger. The Levites worked hard and it was a show. So that at least means now I'm not, that's not an answer to your question, but it at least means we cannot afford to be quickly dismissive because even the early church, it's one of those things like people kick around this language as though the early church only met in houses. That's not true. Mm. They went to the temple and when they, when they weren't in Jerusalem, they went to the synagogue. They participated in Jewish worship for like a hundred years. And then they would also meet in homes and participate in these things. So the idea that they were not participating in organized religion suddenly, and they were just this, you know, group of hippies in a house, not true, just not true. And so like there were worship things that happened. And when they were able to build buildings, they did. We have buildings very, very early. So there's a lot of these things that we kind of jump to easy explanations, which unfortunately is just a lot more complicated, yes, you know? Yes. Um, and so I think, I think the, the reality of like performance and all of those things is a super tricky one. I do struggle myself okay. with the question of like, should a pastor have $10,000 speakers? And I kind of think the answer is no. Hmm. Right. Should a church have, an, having done the budgets myself, here's a question. Here's how we could spin it. Okay. Church in Arkansas, should that church have an LED wall, right? Right. Now contrast that church in the Bay Area. Should that church meet? Ah, uh, yeah. I see what you're saying. It is very subjective. Like, it's totally subjective. Mm. Like you could get an LED wall for less than it costs a small San Francisco church plant to exist. Mm. What do you do with that? So you've, you've got to wrestle through that. The, the problem is in the internet age, everything everyone does is public. So we're all looking at each other and saying, well, where I live, that's insane. And maybe it is, mm-hmm. maybe it is insane. But I, I, what I don't see, and if you look at the Psalter and you look at David and you look at, you know, all of that, David has examples of pulling in instruments from elsewhere, worldly things, if you will, particularly in Judaism, where separatism was a big part of their worldview, where you have, we have a psalm, which is we're instructed to play on a foreign instrument. We can't principalize that sort of minimalism and simplicity and say that always applies to all things. And that's kind of the same thing as the performance thing. I think part of the problem isn't that we are saying, hey, here's what we think a life in Jesus looks like, living like Jesus. The ultimate outcome of Christianity is being more Christ-like. Right. Right. And in being more Christ-like, being a disciple of Jesus, we measure our long term against that. And this was one of the things like growing up, 
in the in the context I did and being friends with Zach from Citizens and we had this whole conversation about the rise and fall of Mars Hill thing. He he was part of Mars Hill. Wow. He was on the ground. He was part of the fall of Mars Hill directly. The we didn't know the podcast was going to come out when we wrote Kyrie. Part of what connected us in a sense was this like, hey, I had very many of the same experiences as you did in a small church with no podcast, no video cameras, and no media. So like, the, the, our, the, our relationship to power and each other and loving our neighbor is the bigger question, not the aesthetic question. Mm-hmm. So I know churches that spend millions on production who spend many millions on mission and who are really, really great at loving their neighbor. I know churches who spend nothing on production and are really, really great at deacons arguing for six hours on a Tuesday mm-hmm. night about nothing. <laughs> so, so the, so the question is like, are we being self-righteous or are we being Christ-like? Man, that's such, I love that answer, man. That's great. That actually helped re- me resolve a lot of things in my head as far as like how to approach that. So I, when I go back and edit this, I'm definitely going to like sit on that a little while. So thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> but, um, well, I think it's just first things is first things. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's, it's right. that. It should be because I guess what we've been talking about the whole time here is like what really matters when it comes to worship. Like what is the real purpose of it and when right. we come together? Um, we're almost out of time and, and uh, normally I, I get to user questions but these guys all of them are just all their questions and comments are just wow i love this guy oh yep (laughs) that's that's all i'm getting and and clapping clapping hands that's all i'm getting yeah uh and so guys um i i don't want to keep him longer than than we promised him i had one more one question i really wanted to get his take on sure yeah Um, so one thing i've I've noticed with churches and i'm worship leader myself a lot of churches take this approach, and you might have even touched on this a little bit, that we don't sing X songs because they come from Y church, and Y church teaches Z theology, so therefore mm. we don't sing those songs. Like, what, what are your, what are your just, <laughs> what's your response to that? What are your thoughts to that? I, so, it, this is a simplistic quip of an answer. Okay, I want it. If we're going to take that line of thinking, we're going to throw out a lot of the Bible. Okay. Yes. Wow. I get it. Like David was a horrible mm, person yep. at mm. times. David was also Jewish. He wasn't a Christian. So like David didn't know or believe that Jesus of Nazareth was going, he was not, Jesus was not a twinkle in David's eye. So if we're going to sing the Psalms, which we all do and which we should, because it's all of Christian tradition, then on some level, we have to recognize that we are singing songs of people who didn't have all of the answers we like at the moment. And, and I think there's just really something to that. I, I, there are plenty of churches that I don't see eye to eye on and wouldn't participate in. And there's even a couple big ones that I, I play their songs without worry, um, even though I know they might believe things that are unlike what I believe. And, and part of that is growing up and having been my most formative years in ministry, which hopefully never stop, but my most formative years in ministry were in a deeply ecumenical environment. Mm. Like at the end of the day, the church, the bride of Christ is a missional organization in the world in the same way that Israel was in captivity in Babylon to plant gardens and marry and do what is good for the city. That's what the church is. So in so doing, can we start on some creedal foundation Mm. and say, if they affirm the creeds 
That's a Christian who's doing this. Whether I agree with this, that, or the other thing, to me, we're going to need a sort of Christian pluralism if we're going to function, because we unite around the person of Jesus. We do not unite around our particular shard of the diamond. Yes. And that's, that's, that's really, really important. And I think, you know, there are plenty of writers who write great songs who, in conversation, I'm like, oh, we disagree some, on some pretty fundamental things, but we agree on who it is. Yes. And if we can start there, that's good enough for me. That's man. I'm so upset that you have the answers to these questions that I've been wrestling with for years, man. I'm upset. Oh, upset I, don't, I don't know what to say me. about that. It's awesome, man. This is me giving you a standing ovation. Oh, thank you so, so much. Oh. Really? Like this was a humongous honor and blessing for us. Our humble little podcast over here, everybody in that's watching live. Uh, we have about six people watching live. All of them are, their minds are blown and they're also starting to ask really dumb questions. <laughs> oh, great. I love dumb so, questions. Okay. Let's, let's just do one of them. Cause this is like, yeah, sure. This is like a, um, a common one. Uh, yeah. how do we stop cyclists? How do we stop cyclists? <laughs> is this a dad joke? <laughs> I don't know the punchline of this <laughs> one. Just, they're just. They're just hard. They're just on the road. Just, just get out of the way. You know, we're trying to drive here. So, so funny. I'm in Hamilton, which is a super bike town. They have bike lanes everywhere. They're probably good. Though. It's like a yeah. Well, they have rental bikes everywhere. Yeah, they're painted green on the side of the road. Like it's it. They're hardcore about it. I think it, this is a uniquely American problem because we don't like sharing the road. First off, yeah, and, roads are for cars. And, yeah. and then we don't have good bike lanes. I'm sure it's not a problem in Canada because you just have like very. Nice open bike lanes with it a nice. Yeah, well, they're very clear. It's very <laughs> obvious where the bike lane is. Yeah. So yeah, they're a problem down here. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Hannah did. That's ask, amazing. Hannah did ask a question. This is a great question. What's the best way for a church to be Christ-like aside from loving your neighbor? Very interesting question. Hmm, that is a tricky question. I think we have a tendency to want to reduce the effectiveness of ministry to a program or something which we can argue like a marketing director would in a boardroom meeting Mm -hmm. that we have done the thing now, therefore you should still employ me. In reality, it took 400 years for the church to agree on several important things. Mm -hmm. And it was still the church. It had done a lot of damage in a good sense in that 400 years. So it seems to me that Eugene Peterson's you know, summary of pastoral life, which is a long walk in the same direction, I think is with the quote, I could be misquoting it now, but, but it is the, like, I, my, so much of my life is, I hope I'm as Christ-like at 65 as I hope to be. I hope I'm as Christ-like in two years as I hope to mm. be. Partly because yes, there's a quick decision to be made. Yes. There's lifestyle changes to be made. Yes. There's choices that I'm afforded every single day, but it is not necessarily always the big splashy thing. Cause as we've seen big splashy movements that can look definitely like a move of God come and go and turn out to have been smoke and mirrors. Oof. So yeah. if it's not to say that big things are bad, it's not to say that things with flash are bad, but it is to say, God seems to be a lot more comfortable working slowly and quietly and faithfully than we are. And so in in my mind, that means treating discipleship, treating loving your neighbor. And actually, I actually think singing plays a fundamental role in this. Mm. Singing is slow, formative work. You're shaping the emotions. You're shaping the heart. You're, I mean, on some level, 
what we do on Sundays in liturgy, particularly in singing and communion and in the application of the text, which is what a sermon probably should be more often than it is. Um, it, it, as, as we're doing this, how are we then going out in the world and being Christ-like? That's the fundamental question for every Christian that comes together. That practice in and of itself, even if it doesn't contain new information, is much more like brushing your teeth than most people want to admit. Wow. And by that I mean, imagine if brushing your teeth only worked when you were thinking about which tooth you were brushing. That's so oh, no, good. No, word. <laughs> I hate you, men. <laughs> Dang it. Right? Yeah. So that's that's, perfect. That, that, that's like sometimes you brush your teeth so that in the big picture, you don't have bad breath and you don't get cavities. Wow. And it's it's to some degree participating in spiritual disciplines, including corporate worship, is that exact thing. Is training. I mean, it all boils down, and Jesus boiled it down. I'm not, this is not my first principle. This is Jesus' first principle, which is the Shema. Love the Lord your God in every domain in your life. Yeah. And if you're not sure how to measure that, look at your neighbor. So the, one of the problems with the question is, well, if we take away the looking at your neighbor and we say, how do you do this? Well, you don't. Jesus said, the second is like it, yes. love your neighbor as yourself. So if we're going to reduce it to anything, it's going to be love God everywhere. And if, and when in doubt, look outside. That's so good, man. I like that. I like that so much. Um, I guess just to connect it back to your comment about, you know, you're not sure how you feel about pastors with expensive sneakers. We actually had, I don't know if you're familiar with preachers of sneakers. We, yeah, of course. We yeah. had him on our podcast. We've spoken with him multiple times. He's a good friend of ours. And it, like, like you mentioned earlier, it is ambiguous. It is. And it's subjective. And what, what's super important, what should be important. And I really like the way you summarize that. It's like, you love God, you love people, and you do them interchangeably at the same time. <laughs> it's like you do. Yep. They're, co they're codependent ideas. Yes. Oh, man. I like that so much. Yeah. Um, somebody said, I'm using that analogy, analogy. So am I? I'm stealing it. I never heard it before. <laughs> Uh, Which one? Brushing your teeth? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the tooth one. Like, which tooth? <laughs> Man, dude. I'm going to, yeah. I'm, I'm getting so many great sound bites from this. And so thank you. That's hilarious. Hey, man, we all win, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Speaking of which, guys, uh, we're going to bring this to a close. And uh, let's just take a moment to to uh, give you just, uh, just a second to talk about your new album, The Works Number 2. Sure, yeah. Mike and I were vibing to it. That's what the kids say these days. Awesome. We were vibing to it. Yes. Tell us a little bit about it and, you know where we can find yeah, it. Yeah. So, so my albums are called the work because I'm lazy and an overthinker. So if I didn't call them something consistent, I would call them too many confusing things. <laughs> and so, so they're called the work. Um, I, I love lyrical, uh, multi-layered meanings. So throughout the whole album song, like you said, one of the simplest songs by design closes its own loop. Um, so you could read it and think it's very simple. It is not, it is sometimes it is. And sometimes it is very much not. Um, and so that's by design. The work volume two is uh, my sophomore solo record. Uh, it, I am probably the most proud of this as I've been of everything, anything I've ever done, nice. to be honest, in terms of music. Um, I, I, we went into this record. I co-produced it with Brent Milligan, who did like Colony House and David Crowder Band and, and uh, played bass on Jesus Freak and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, so this guy's a monster. <sighs> Okay. Um, so we worked together on it for three years. Nice. This is the longest pr project wow. I've ever had. And I went in this is before COVID it started. I went in going, I have to make 
a bittersweet album. I have to make an album which is just holding hope and lament in tension from start to finish. And yes, it goes a place. It's a journey. It's an album by design. Um, but through that is processing a lot of frustration. I, I, I don't know how to talk about participating in contemporary Christianity, particularly contemporary Protestant evangelicalism. Uh, I don't know how to talk about that without talking about faithfulness and frustration in equal measure. Mm. Man. And I think it's deeply dishonest for us to go about what we're doing in the world as Christians. I mean, that's why do you do what you do? Because on some level, there's so much fodder for what you do. You can do what you do. That's that in and of itself is an important thing. The church is at a point where you could endlessly make memes about the things that we get oh, up to. Been doing it for a decade, man. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yep. So, so my point is, it's like, if we're, if you read the Psalms and you see David threatening to murder a guy and then talking about God's faithfulness two sentences away, this is as raw and human as a person gets, right? Yeah. And our worship songs, by comparison, seem neutered entirely. They're, there's, there's emotionally vapid. And so for me, like, I think, well, I don't know how to say the things I need to say to God without some level of what the heck are you doing in there? Or what the heck am I doing? Or who the heck am I? Or what's going on? I, I th I'm just in our cultural moment. I don't know how. Mm. And so this album has at least a healthy dose of that because it had to. I couldn't, I couldn't write prayers that I didn't mean. And in order to mean them, there has to be frustration and faithfulness, hope and lament side by side. And so that's that's what this is. Sheesh. Yeah, guys, go check it out, Elias. Dummer. That's D-U-M-M-R. It's not drummer, okay? I, I'm dyslexic, and I looked up drummer, and I was... And there's no B. There's no... <laughs> D-U-M-M-E-R. And, uh... Yes. It's awesome. It's a super good album. Like, I listened to it, and... And like I said, there's so much to it. You can't just listen to it one time. You have to listen to it a couple times to catch all the Easter eggs that he has in there. Um, <laughs> and I look forward to finding more. But uh, thank you so much, Elias. This was truly a pleasure and honor to have you on, man. Yeah, thanks for coming Awesome. On. Thank you guys for having me. This was tons of fun. Yo, guys, what's up? Thank you so much for watching or listening. If you got some value out of what I'm doing here on the show, please consider becoming a supporter of Meme Lord Monday. You can do so for as little as $2 a month. And I'm doing all sorts of perks and goodies just for you. If you go to memelordmonday.supercast.com, you can see all the tiers and benefits that I offer. Thank you so much for watching, and I'll see you on Monday.